This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Our colleagues over at AMI-audio continue to do incredible work on the reading shows, including new episodes of McLean's Magazine, which you can find at 5 p.m. Eastern Time Wednesdays on AMI-audio. So Wednesdays, 5 p.m. Eastern Time is when you get the initial broadcast, but it replays a couple times throughout the week. And one of the producers of that show is Don Dickinson to talk about a couple of the major articles. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi there, Dave. How are you? I'm well done. A really interesting full episode this week on McLean's Magazine that took a deep dive into the economy. So we're just going to scratch into a couple of individual stories, but overall, mm-hmm. just a fantastic program. Yeah, it was really good. It, it, the entire uh, show was on the economy with 10 articles. So if you're really interested in knowing virtually everything, <laughs> you yeah. should tune in. No, it, it, like the economy can sometimes make people's heads spin a little bit because there's numbers and there's dense concepts. But the more you pour yourself into these things, especially because the articles that McLean's does are, are a little bit more mainstream. They're a little bit easier to wrap your head around. Just a lot of perspective there. Really, really valuable listen or read for folks if they get the opportunity. But let's jump into a couple of these individual articles. And the first one was actually written by someone that we interviewed back in August, Dr. Mike Moffitt from Mm -hmm. the Smart Prosperity Institute. So he wrote an article about the rise in rental prices. So what happened with rent prices at the start of the pandemic? Well, I find that I found this very interesting because he he really explained it very, uh, um, you know, in layman's terms. He said when the pandemic kicked off, rental housing prices fell, believe it or not, by five to six percent in most Canadian provinces for the first time in years. Mm. Some renters could actually uh, get a good deal. Cities like London, Ontario experienced drops of 10 percent or more. This is something I did not know. That brief reprieve, however, ended very quickly as uh, the average monthly rate for all vacant rental units in Canada started to hover around $1,900 per month, marking a 10% increase from just a year ago. In Toronto and Vancouver, of course, the big two, prices rebounded by as much as 20%, surpassing Mm. their previous highs. Yeah, I remember a lot of people cutting off their leases early there in the early days to go uh, live with mom and dad to get a backyard (laughs) and a bigger basement. I know my parents threatened me with that, and I said, absolutely not. No way. Uh, Don, what are some of the underlying factors that have been causing these waves and spikes in rental pricing? Uh, Well, COVID fluctuations aside, rental pricing tends to be proportional to population growth, and that's the big bugaboo. Since 2015, Canada's population has swelled by 3 million people. I mean, think about that, Dave. That's like like an extra Toronto. Yeah, it's it's like 10%. Yeah, Yeah, like it's it's just enormous, right? So um, you've got that uh, massive increase in population. Uh, thanks in part to uh, expanded federal uh, immigration targets. And yet the country hasn't accelerated uh, the rate at which it builds rental units. Ontario went from 670,000 units in 2015 to only 710,000 units in 2021. That's not very many. That's only 40,000 in four years. That's not very many. 
No, exactly. You know, that's that, that not a lot at all. So this scarcity extends to rural areas as well, because you had rental stock uh, very much dwindling when everybody was fleeing the cities to get into the outer, uh, you know, areas, and they were buying up those. So where does the federal government come into play here? Are they doing anything that could potentially be helping renters? Well, I think at this point in time, they realize we're in panic mode and crisis mode. And, you know, like every basically every business story every night on the news starts with rentals and uh, the price of houses. So this year, the federal government allocated four billion to its housing accelerator fund and set building targets. One idea is to legalize rooming houses, living quarters that can fit up to 10 to 20 people at the municipal and federal <laughs> and municipal and provincial levels. That's very that's very 1860s industrialized London right there. Like, ah, just put 20 people in a place together. It's all good. Well, you know, that, yeah, okay, that's true. But when I was a kid and uh, my parents uh, separated, my mom was a single mother and she was working very hard and she couldn't afford much. Mm. And we ended up, believe it or not, we ended up in the west end of the city, west end of Toronto, in a home that had been in Parkdale. And and if you know Parkdale, it's, it's an area that was very, very... Um, prestigious at one point in time, very large, mm -hmm, large mm -hmm. homes, mansions, basically. And what they did over time is when they were sold off, they were bought up by various people and they were divided up. And we ended up living in one of those places on King Street mm. that had been converted to eight apartments, right? So there was just mum and me. So, I mean, we just, we, I mean, we didn't need an enormous amount of space, right? And as she did better in life, obviously things improved, but that saved our, yeah. that saved yeah. us. Oh, Don, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I giggled a little bit there. I, I, I snickered, but we do know that sometimes unregulated density can be, can be a problem, but I, yeah. but, but yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there or be snarky about what you're proposing because density no, no, no. is one of the answers in the city. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And actually, to your point, that's also well taken because it said that uh, legitimizing these living arrangements with rooming houses would, in fact, enforce a minimum security and privacy standards for the people that are already living in them. So by saying that, yes, OK, we're going to have this, they, the government can then bring in more rules <clears throat> excuse me, and regulations regarding rooming houses, which then can make it actually better for those people. Mm, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Don, I, I know I cut you off there. Was there anything else? in terms of the federal government file that we wanted to highlight here before we move on? Uh, well, they're doing a number of, of, of other things. They're obviously trying to encourage more condo units and whatnot. Um, I mean, basically, when you're starting out, I mean, we all know this, right? Yourself included. Uh, when everybody's starting out, you you can't afford a house, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's it's gotta it's gotta be a condo, right? Yeah. So yeah. the encouragement of more condo units is obviously very very crucial. <laughs> I've talked uh, till I'm blue in the face on this topic uh, many many times <laughs> on this show, so I'll I'll spare I'll spare the regular viewers uh, my my full thesis here. I I, <laughs> I I do think the government needs to be getting involved in crown corporations from a rental housing perspective at either at yeah. cost or below market cost rental with still again quality standards in place, certainly accessibility, close to public transit, et cetera, et cetera. We don't necessarily want to replicate sort of the projects model in the U.S. I think you need to be a little bit more mixed model than that, but certainly there'd be something there in creating not-for-profit crown corporations. I also think we need to, and I say this to a certain degree with a certain understanding that it's been an investment model for a lot of people. 
I think we need to be careful about the number of condos that are being used as rental units by owners. I know uh, we just had the AGM at my building this week, and nearly 40% of the units in my building are, non, are non-owner lived in. So that's nearly, no. that's nearly half the condo is being used as rental units. And by the way, no issue with people renting those units, but it does create some odd economic pressures inside the market. Wow, that blows me away, Dave, 40%. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, it's a big number. It's a big number. And I know that certainly anecdotal experience is not necessarily statistical evidence, but I'm sure if we looked at a lot of manifests around the city of Toronto, we would see similar-ish numbers. Yeah, true, true, true. Uh, one other thing that I didn't mention that, it, that that the government is also going to start maybe doing a little more in the way of um, uh, approving places like triplexes and uh, purpose-built rentals. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of what, what you would call middle density, you mm-hmm. see. I mean, you know, most of these condos are very small. They're single-density uh, condos, right? So what the, what we need is we need more units like Europe has where, mm-hmm. there's, where there's triplexes and whatnot. Even even cities like Montreal have made a habit of building a lot of that kind of middle density around the downtown core. So neighborhoods like Verdun, St. Henry, the Plateau Montréal, a lot of these neighborhoods are built upon triplexes and quadplexes that are that are allowing for that middle density. So you're not dealing with millions and millions of people crammed into small spaces, but you're still allowing for a certain amount of density that's also rather beautiful and gives the places some character. Don? What do you say? Let's move on to the next article because the next okay. one's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm hungry to talk about this next article because this one was written by Vas Bednar and explores the sustainability of the food delivery app market. So the article references the servant economy. What do they mean by that? That's, that seems like an escalation. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the so-called servant economy uh, economy emerged in North America in 2008. Of course, everything, you know, it's massive dern- downturn, right, in the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the aftermath of that recession, it was built on a simple... Uh, what they say, a seductive premise, uh, an app-based delivery that relied on efficient algorithms and low-paid independent contractors, which together would offer cheap prices that traditional, cheap prices, cheaper prices, sorry, than traditional competitors. Consumers, particularly young, busy urbanites, became increasingly dependent on these companies like Uber for transportation takeout and delivery of essentials like medicine, clothing directly to their homes Mm -hmm. and workplaces. It really surged when it came in including this guy right here who because (laughs) because i can't drive uh carrying like a lot of cans or heavy bottles home from stores is sometimes difficult so every now and then i like to do an order to get some of those staples brought over to me so i'm definitely a user of this marketplace don why was the market unstable right from the get-go Yeah, this was actually a bit surprising to me. The market was always being uh, built on shaky foundations. Companies like Uber, DoorDash, and Just Eats are heavily subsidized by venture capital dollars that have long obscured what is actually costing them to provide these services. Case in point, Uber has rarely turned a profit in its 13 years of operation, despite raking in 17.4 billion, that's with a B, uh, US dollars in revenue in 2021 alone. So 
it, that was really surprising. I didn't realize that this was occurring. Wow, my Saturday morning morning McDonald's is really uh, is really uh, paying the bills there for the folks at Uber. <laughs> uh, what what's the uh, future looking like for these delivery apps? We know certainly there was a spike during the pandemic. It's certainly been normalized using them. What's the future look like? Well, despite apps experiencing a huge surge in demand during the pandemic, um, the Nash. Uh, um, the national spike in food prices over the past few months has deterred consumers from their usual dining order habits. On-demand apps are now struggling to retain the cheap laborers that they depended on for their deliveries. And we, we've heard this time and time again. Drivers are growing weary of gig work, lack of benefits, and the unstable hours. They're also burning out from algorithms that treat them like robots mm. instead of human beings. And drivers are penalized for declining too many deliveries. I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or for not accepting them fast enough. Predictably, they're turning uh, elsewhere for work. Uber and Lyft drivers in the U.S. were at 40% lower capacity in July of 2021. Oh, Similar wow. shortage. Simil yeah, yeah, yeah. 20% similar shortages are cropping up in Canada. So basically, the you know, higher food prices. And then, of course, these these poor souls that, you know, are weaving in and out of traffic, getting you your food, Dave. Yeah, they're, uh, they work their tails off. There's no doubt about that one. That's why there's always a nice tip at the end of the rainbow when they bring me when they bring me my wings and my shameful wings and mac and cheese on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. They, uh, there's definitely a tip involved there. Don, this episode of McLean's fabulous, fabulous. Thank you for reflecting yeah. on a couple of the articles. And again, I'll remind folks, Wednesday's 5 p.m. Eastern time for new episodes, but that, that show is certainly going to repeat a couple times here on the AMI audio wheel. So if folks can track that down, they definitely should listen to the yeah. whole show. Yeah, it's a great episode to, to catch. Don, thank you for this. Have a great weekend. Okay, you too, Dave. Bye-bye. That's Don Dickinson, producer of McLean's Magazine. New episodes Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. But as I mentioned a couple times there, the way in which the repeat programming works on AMI-audio, you can find that one a couple of different times. So keep an eye out that one or head over to AMI.ca and check out the schedules to see if you can get your ears on that one. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.